Ex- that's true. I- I'll be honest, folks. I mentioned it on the anniversary episode. The one, the thing that's hardest, I think, about our podcast is that three-hour time difference. Right. It really is. It's amazing. It's not really a lot of time if you think about it. But like, what is like, you know, early afternoon for me is late afternoon for you, and that is a totally different time of day. Different things are happening. It's <laughs> it's 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 interesting. But yeah, no. Um, I was on. Yeah, we had to re- and we had to record that one fast too like we recorded it on a friday i think or something like that we did that was crazy yeah, yeah because i was away last week where were you i went to la to visit my sister and we went to disneyland because disneyland's awesome and i love disneyland so much yeah here's my thing this is why i love disneyland you know me i like to think a lot sure i cannot turn off my brain yes disneyland's one of those places my brain just shuts off <laughs> I just kind of enjoy the time. That's because of the chemicals they pump into the air there. They pump chemicals into the air? Yeah, to shut off your brain so that uh, you are more able to enjoy. Yeah, Disney's yeah. drugging, drugging your, your, your children. Your, I'm making this up. This isn't true at all. <laughs> but I like to believe that it is because that would be fun. And I always like to go at the beginning of September because it's often the quietest time of year to go. Mm-hmm. Because all the kids are back in school. Right. And I don't have kids. So it's actually very... And it's also like half the price for all the hotels and flying and everything's cheaper. That's smart. So it's like, why not go when you can literally walk on onto all the... Like I was walking onto the Pirates of the Caribbean ride sometimes. Beautiful. Which is just great. And they have the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge area. Mm-hmm. Which made my 12-year-old self very happy. Delightful. When you see the Millennium Falcon, it's pretty awesome i mean that is cool that I, is I mean, cool. that's pretty awesome and, and i mean i saw so two little highlights from, you know so just so people know like I, as you know like i uh, while I, even though i go on holidays i'm always a priest right, right. so we would uh, have mass in the hotel room and stuff me and my friend father carlos and then uh, most of the days i was in my clerics except for thursday and it was only for one reason it was so hot that day it was in like the low 90s Ooh. So I was like, I'm not going out for 16 hours in black. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So no. that day I didn't. But, you know, I'm in my clerics. It was just great. People are saying, hey, Father, how's it going? And, you know, yeah, it, it becomes a nice little conversation point. But the two highlights were like, so Galaxy's Edge, uh, one of the new things they have in there is a cantina. And the idea is the only place in the Disneyland portion that, outside of Club 33 that you can drink alcohol at. Ooh. And so this cantina is meant to make you feel like you're in like a Star Wars cantina, essentially. And you have to get a reservation. I I, I tried. I thought you could step in line. You couldn't. And mm-hmm. like, no, you need reservations. I couldn't find any reservations. I just checked one day randomly. There they were. I found spots for me and my friends. So and a uh, friend, Ashley, a vintage sister came. My sister was also there. My friend, Father Carlos. Uh, Father Tim Grumbach showed up on Tuesday night. Oh, well. nice. Yeah, yeah. So anyways. You go into the cantina, and I gotta be honest, it really, you really do feel like you're in a, in a, in a Star Wars cantina feel. They got the music in the background, with the DJ, robot DJ, and of course the drinks at the bar. They all look very foreign, but they taste really good, and it was that was really cool. So, so did you we, have to order like a regular cocktail, but it had like a space name to it, something like that. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get cocktails because I'm a man. So, uh, wow, <laughs> I got what, beer. What, 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 what Belgian space beer did you get? Father I, got, I can't remember. It's like some Wampa something, high <laughs> thingy. Uh, 
but it was really cool. Like just hearing the music, the atmosphere, and it, it was really cool. It was like it was a, it's essentially a bar then, right? Yeah. But everyone's in a good mood there. Everyone's having fun, like because it's so packed. People have to share tables together, so you're meeting people from all over. Like it was just a really. It's so nice to go to a place where people are drinking and everyone's just happy and having a good time instead mm-hmm. of like, you know, trying to hit on people or, you know, fights and arguments or people are, you know, depressed or whatever. It was just a, it was a happy bar experience. Delightful. Yeah. So that was the first one. The second mm-hmm. one was, I am very blessed to have a friend who has a membership to Club 33. Oh, yes. You and Do all you... of your exclusive contacts. So for those who don't know. Club 33 is a club at Disneyland. It's in the New Orleans part of the town. And I think, if I remember correctly, there's only 500 members. And there's two ways you can get to Club 33. You can have the dinner. It's a five-course meal. It's like $100, which I didn't do. Or you can go into the lounge. But you can only go into the lounge if you're with a member. So thankfully, while I was there, my friend was there that week as well for a day. So we went to the lounge. And it's so cool because it's... I don't know if you've ever... Have you ever been to Disneyland or Disney I've World? I've been to Disney World, not Disneyland. Okay. I've been to the Florida one, yeah. Have you ever had a quiet eating experience? Oh, no. It's always... There's always so many people and it's packed and it's loud and, and big... And, and people in, like, costumes want to take pictures with you. I've always hated that part, even as a kid. Right. Uh, no, no. Not, never a quiet experience. Club 33, it's so quiet. Ooh. It's just you're sitting back having a drink... You can go walk out in the balcony and look down on everyone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, I'm up here. Anyways, so we got to go to Club 33. And I bought some nice little Club 33 exclusive uh, tiki cups because I have a little mug collection and glass collection I've got going here at home. So, yes, yeah, it was a very relaxing trip. So good. that's what I did for five days. Beautiful. Yes. So I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And welcome to Clerically Speaking. Yeah. How, how are you doing, Father Anthony? I'm doing great. So it's my day off. I'm hanging out at producer Nick's house, mm-hmm. and I've been relegated to um, his top floor, which is usually where I stay. He's mm-hmm. got a plumber working on, I don't know, plumbing in his house. Yeah. And as he got me set up with the microphone and everything, he was like, oh, you should, you should drink something because it's good to stay hydrated when you're podcasting. It's also really hot in here right now. I'm like, uh, I've got, I've got a cherry Coke. That'll keep me hydrated. And he's like, no, that's not, no. And he got real angry. So he goes downstairs to get me some water. He says, oh, the plumber turned off the water. So he hands me a can of truly hard seltzer. Passion okay. fruit flavored. So I think this is like a knockoff white of manly drinks. Right, exactly. So I'm going to open this guy up. There we go. And uh, it smells very passion fruity. That is just okay. <laughs> it's exactly what it's exactly what you would think it would be. It's like a lacroix with alcohol. That's such a boring drink I'm drinking, but it's kind of refreshing. Refreshing yet boring. Does Nick understand that giving you alcohol dehydrates you? You know what? That's why I'm a little bit confused. Because he made a big stink about me drinking a cherry coke, yeah. And then he brings me this this Alcohol. seltzer, but um, this is actually kind of nice. Nice. I'm gonna so just, I'm gonna crush this. So you're just hanging out with him for the day? Yeah. So he's on a break because he's in between jobs right now. He, Crazy. Um, 
quit his job with the diocese. Yeah. Um, and now is going into full-time youth ministry. Yeah. And uh, he's excited for it. It's very Does good. Does that mean he quit his other youth ministry job too? Yeah. So he, he quit that and took a part-time different youth ministry job. Now that part-time job has turned into a full-time job, from what gotcha. I understand. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Passion yes. fruit. Delicious. Read, read our Patreon script. I can't because I don't have my computer in front of me. Oh, okay. Uh, please consider donating to our Patreon. Money that goes to our, our Patreon goes to supporting our podcast hosting fees, equipment, and other associated costs with our podcast, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage. If you are interested in supporting our podcast and getting access to the exclusive Producer Nick weekly episode reviewing, because you know we're so self-indulgent this way, reviewing mm-hmm. last week's podcast. You can have access to this exclusive podcast if you are a Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to find out more. And speaking of that, I was um, looking at Twitter. You know those those upstarts, those children, those half clerics sometimes Uh over at the uh, Big Tree podcast, the Alberione? The ones who actually mailed out their stickers? The audacity to actually (laughs) mail out stickers? How disgusting. Let's be honest. What do seminarians really do? Right? They avoid doing work by mailing out stickers is what they do. Yes. But to have the very audacity, I mean, how pathetic to, like, promise something to your audience and then actually give it to them on time. To be fair, I've given out more stickers than you have. I, how many stickers have you given out? Oh, uh, I've gone through two packages so far. Okay, you've definitely given out more. Was it all (laughs) to one person? No, it's been... Okay. Through my different travels, I guess whenever I see people, they say I listen to the podcast, I give them a sticker or two. Wow. Okay. So, but I have an update. I have an update. So, oh. it was just uh, last weekend or last Friday. Yeah. I was, after doing all my priestly clerical work, I was copying and pasting and, and getting all the uh, addresses organized. And I was like, oh, we print out addresses on little stickers. I'm going to do that. So, I asked the secretary, hey, how do we do this? And she's like, oh, I'll do that for you. I was like, really? You don't have to do that. No, no, no. I'll, I'll do that. No problem. No problem. Like, how many are there? And I said, it's about 100. Eh, no problem. Just send me the addresses. So I've used my clerical power <laughs> to get our secretary to print out the addresses. So Amazing. They're probably in the mail by the time people are hearing this. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's right? huge. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I have another fun update oh. because, of, because of our other podcast. So I finally, this is the sound of the rosary that our friends over at Rugged Rosary sent. Yeah. They sent me a rosary. Yes. And it said it it arrived at the parish office, mm-hmm. but I had never seen it. Never showed up. So what did I'm you use around. on our rosary episode then? That was my other rosary that I bought from them. Oh, okay, okay. okay. But this was the free one, right? Oh, I got a free one too, by the way. Yes. I think you're using Twitter this. with using Twitter for our good. Exactly. Yes. So that's that's the perks about being a Twitter yeah. priest. You get free rosaries. Yes. So I couldn't find it. And then we have a gift shop at our parish. Like maybe the gift shop people took it. They definitely didn't take it because there's no other rosary they sell that has little skulls for beads, right? Uh, they would have noticed that. And I was like, ah, I was bummed about it. But then the guys, they contacted me and said, hey, did you get your rosary? I said, it said it arrived, but it didn't show up. Don't worry about it. And they're like, no, 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 no. We'll send you another one. I got it sent to producer Nick's house. And the day of this recording, I got it. And it nice. is so cool. I'm so excited to pray it. So yeah. I yay. will like I'll be so I've met, I've shared before like my my time my rosary time though has gone up since I've gotten this rosary, right? And it's great. And it's great. It's a, 
It's the same sort of thing. Like if you move and you're at a parish and the parish has like a really nice chapel, mm -hmm. it's just nicer to pray there. Exactly. You just want to be there more. It's the same thing with the rosary. If you get yourself a nice rosary, it just... I just want to pray this. So it's kind of like a, a kind of a little avenue into prayer. And, it, um, it's, and it's kind of like, you know, when you read good theology, you just mm -hmm. want to read more of it. Absolutely. Like St. Thomas's Aquinas's Summa Theologica. You know, it's the Summa Tweetologia. Ah, I can't even talk today. <laughs> Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. That's my talk. favorite kind of segue is when we flub it and we just panic and just scream. <laughs> Summa Theologica. Ah! The, Summa, uh, the Summa Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas a summary of theology and the Summa Theologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up from Jaden at Jaden. Dear meat eaters, let's start doing meatless Fridays where we don't eat meat meals that include meat for the entire day and i'm like buddy that's called, called catholicism what who, who is this this Jaden person is he a famous person he's a rapper of sorts oh. Oh. and he is will smith's son what yeah i didn't know like, that i guess he's gonna want to become catholic then right because that's still the deal that's still the deal so if you don't know you're still required to do some kind of uh, either penance or abstinence on Fridays if or you're not going to do the meat thing. Or prayer. You have to do a thing. Extra that you wouldn't normally do. Exactly. So if you do a rosary every day, you got to throw something on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a super rosary that day. But I just thought this was like, is this so interesting that like kind of this almost, I don't know, it's just funny how celebrity culture gets this way. It's like, guys have meatless Fridays. It's like, Buddy, we've been doing this for 2,000 years. <laughs> like, it's, what you're saying is nothing new. It sounds like something like a, like Chesterton would say. Like, if, it, if there was no Catholicism, we would have to invent it. Like, there's right. something about it that, something that just makes sense. Amen. What do you got? I've got a tweet from Friar Nick, OFM Conv, at Fri Friar Nick, Father Nick, OFM Conv. And he says... If you want to reform the church, start with yourself and lead the life of a saint following Jesus as closely as you can. Then pray a whole lot for those you think need to be reformed. And what's great about this pod, about this tweet is right underneath it, Jake R says, nope, start podcasting instead, which I think is hilarious. He's obviously being sarcastic, but this whole point is great. And I think it's something that we've been saying on the podcast as well, because I've seen people uh, we're going to be talking about the German bishops a little bit, and some people have suggested prayer and fasting. And I've seen people on Twitter say, prayer and fasting is not going to do anything. Like, it's going to be futile. Why would you even bother praying and fasting? It's like, whoa, have you Where's forgotten? Like, Yeah, seriously, that's such a sad place to be. 
where you're just dismissing the most powerful weapons that we have. Right. Now, everything's in God's hands, and there's also free will, but we know. We know the efficaciousness of prayer and fasting. And the biggest thing, I think this is the biggest, one of the biggest things in the church right now, because there is a lot of difficulty. I totally get the frustration and the anger. I get ticked off, too. I get confused about and angry about what people in the hierarchy do. But there's such a temptation to try to fix it with blog posts or websites or podcasts or whatever. And there's no looking into your own hearts. Like, first of all, like you need healing. Like if you're a Catholic in the church right now, you probably need some kind of healing because this, this crisis, all the stuff going on has affected all of us. Mm-hmm. So one, you have to let Jesus Christ heal you. And that's not going to happen through Twitter. But also right. like a lot of people who are jumping into let's save the church game are not ready to do that. Their souls aren't ready. And you can see that by the fruits of their labors and what it's doing. So yeah. big fan of uh, our good friend Friar Nick's uh, post here. And it's this idea that if you do need to do something, but you need that needs to come out of like, especially when it comes with regards to things in the church, it's not to be reactionary, but it needs to be the fruit of long sustained prayer. Yeah. Right. If we're just reacting, if we're just uh, say this is bad, we gotta do something about it right now. But it's not being rooted in is this God's will for me, and is this my position in the church to do this? <laughs> That's uh, true too. Yeah. Right? It, am I in a position of life to do this? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think, yeah, it has to be out of this type that that depth of prayer. If, and that's why I think like the great reform, like you know, great reformers in the life of the church would spend hours a day in prayer, like not yeah. just an hour, hours. Mm-hmm. And it was only through that. And after a long period of time that they finally come out with this idea, like I need to be a reformer. Otherwise actually often, whether you think you're doing good or not, you're actually sowing division in the church one way or another. Yeah. Because you're not reflected enough on this idea to bring change. And so you, you come up with an often, like I'd even say like an unbalanced opinion about an issue or a situation sure or yeah it's, it's that and that's going to sow confusion and division and create more harm yeah exactly mm-hmm. all right uh well, well it's been about three months so uh at crucell christina russell from cna ah. had a whole thread a whole thread unpopular opinion but actually i think uh not unpopular at all actually incredibly popular uh, the culture of discernment that permeates Catholic young adult circles is absolute killing all forms of vocations. And she goes on to say stuff like, you know, God isn't going to walk by holding a, a giant hand that says, ask her out or join the priesthood. Get off your bleep and try it out. And if it doesn't work, oh, well. And and she is like she she's dead on like she goes on to say she about how- has obviously been listening to our podcast exactly because and i'm a little have- disappointed that a journalist did not cite her sources because this obviously came from our vocations episode did it not that's very true right that's very true you know christine maybe maybe you should not be plagiarizing us yeah hmm. 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 few things about this one she's yeah. absolutely right yeah you you can discern yourself to death you can just be and what it is is not discernment it's just you're not it's anxiety instead of discernment, which yeah. I totally empathize with. I totally get that. I was yeah. freaking out about discernment. But that began to change when I started talking to people about it, started visiting the seminary. Same thing goes with dates. You ha- if you want to get married, you have to go on dates. Yeah. But 
something about this kind of tweet here. It's time to cancel the unpopular opinion format. I'm done with it. If you have an opinion, just say your opinion. That's it. Like, don't fair, preface I... it. You're not cool because your, your opinion is unpopular or whatever. Just say what you gotta say. It's Twitter. It's the Thunderdome. Go for it. Let the chips fall where they may. No more prefacing with silliness. To, to be fair, at the end of her thread, she, she added it later on. Okay, this apparently isn't an unpopular opinion after all. Oh, repentance, <laughs> repentance is, is also very good. It is very good. You know, but it's, yeah, just do it, folks. Yeah. Just live the Nike, live the Nike uh, <laughs> slogan in your discernment. <laughs> just do it. Just do uh, it. Just ask her out. Just yeah. ask him out. Just go to the seminary. Just go to the convent. Go for come and see. Just do it. Do it. You know, it's like if you're getting anxious over going to a come and see, then you are putting way too much weight on that event. Mm -hmm. If you're putting way, if you're getting too anxious about going on on a single date, you're putting way too much weight on that event. Just do it. Oh, yeah. So this is from at Jerry Dunleavy. Yep. And he says the brands must be stopped. And oh, he's man. he's taking pictures of things that these brands are doing, and it's the most horrifying thing, Father Harrison. I Apparently, cried. there's this. It's I so wept. bad. I wept. I wept. It's pictures of these different brands using their food item for bookmarks. So Check Mix, don't have a bookmark? Try using Chex Mix instead, and it's just crushing Chex Mix in a book, or vitamin water as a bookmark. Or Oreos and milk as a book. They're they're destroying these books. Or Gushers. Gushers. The brands <laughs> must be stopped. Make it stop, folks. Make the horror stop. You're making Mother Harrison to cry. Like, I'm all about a good, like, trend or joke or whatever. But, like, oh, my goodness. Do you have no soul? Like I've I've never been a like let's let's a ban let's ban or um, boycott a brand or whatever. But I hate all of these things now. Yeah, they made me hate Oreo cookies, Father Harrison. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive that they did that. I'm really torn. This 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 hurts. This hurts my heart. It hurts. I like I said I I cry. It makes me weep. It keeps me up at night. It keeps me up at night. You know what a good bookmarks? Bookmarks. Pieces of paper. Actual bookmarks. Uh, tab Post callers. Post-its. Post-its. All excellent bookmarks. Great. <sighs> yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Amen. All right. Since we don't have Patreon pontifications anymore, I'm going to throw in one more. Do it. All right. Uh, from Ann M. Carpenter at Catholic Kung Fu. Would also like to remind the internet that the communion rails in medieval churches were actually there to keep dogs out of the sanctuary. So just imagine what mass must have been like then really contextualizes our irritation at crying babies at church. And then she goes on to say, <laughs> priest, in nomine patris, and then in uh, star, loud chicken noises as chickens bust into church. Priest, and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is I this, like this Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, she's got citations down there and everything. Um, and I was asking her well, what was used before that. She goes, it was the root screens were used oh, before that to keep right. animals out and stuff. What is what is a root screen, Father? It's Harrison? essentially like an iconostasis that just blocks out most of the sanctuary. You can't see. What is what is an iconostasis, Father? It's Harrison? a bunch. It's like a wall with icons on it. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Uh, anyways, I like to sweep for multiple reasons. First, mm -hmm. and this is actually the case with most liturgical items, 
their purpose was usually incredibly practical when they came in. It's like um, the, the pall that you put over the chalice. Mm-hmm. That was created for one reason, to stop bugs from going into the precious blood. Yeah, and that they still the work. Reason. I still need still, them. I know. It still works. It's great. But that is the reason. They're, these things gain symbolic reasoning. Like They gain symbolic um, importance in the church, obviously. But I like this for another reason. It's like, yeah, like we uh, medieval church was totally chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Dog. Like if you had to put a communion rails and stop the dogs from going into the sanctuary, that just tells you how chaotic mass was actually like. And it's and, not even it's not even just medieval times. You know when um when tobacco got popular, mm-hmm. uh, priests had special snuff boxes, like liturgical snuff boxes that would have on the altar with them. There, it became such a problem because people were spitting on the floor in churches and just like wrecking the churches with their tobacco spit. Like the church, like that's amazing. The, the very clean, nice churches we have now are a very new thing. Like churches, even in a mass, have been chaotic things for for centuries. It's we're such a sterilized culture, right? It's because we've become more Protestant. Mm. Well, <sighs> and the third reason there's I like the this, hot take for you. The third reason I like this is it brings trattiness down to a more reasonable level. These yeah. things are good. They are. They have incredible importance, and in the church over her use of these things for centuries adds a great deal of importance to them because of of their invention in the life of the church but in the end community rounds came in because of dogs yeah and so yet we all love these things i think you and i are very much into the trading absolutely however we just need to take a chill pill sometimes and realize that most of these things that we love about the medieval church were there because of dogs and chickens (laughs) that's a good point like a more thorough understanding of the history of the church it will bring a lot more calmness to your soul mm-hmm. when you realize like the greater context of these things. Exactly. So yes, communion rail is good, spiritual, kneeling while receiving communion, um, making sure the sanctuary is a sacred place that not everyone can waltz into. All of these things are good, but they also came from very mat- messy, practical circumstances. And having all of that in your mind really helps you settle down when it comes to liturgical things. Yeah. And it's, like to realize, like you know, just because the communion rail wasn't always there doesn't mean maybe I wouldn't be surprised if Christians still receive kneeling on the tongue in the medieval church. I mean, I don't oh, know. Absolutely, yeah. I, that part I'm not. I'm just kind of speculating on. But it's like just because that wasn't there doesn't mean that the practice wasn't there beforehand or something. Like that. Right. So, yeah. You know, speaking of the life of the church, understanding the context, I think that's a good way to kind of go into our presbyterian exhortations where we're going to talk about ecclesiology and the German bishops conference. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yes, yes, quite. quite. All right, how much do you know about the issues that are going on between the Vatican in the German bishops conference right now. So what it sounds like is the German bishops are like, we want to do this crazy thing. And then the Vatican's like, you should not do that crazy thing. And then the German bishops put their hands over their ears and go, <laughs> la, 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 ich kann nichts uh, hören sie. And then that's what happens. That's, the that's, podcast, what, that's my understanding of the situation. 
<laughs> if we can't make fun of the Germans, then who can we make fun of, Father Harrison? I know, I know. Uh, so, yeah, so the, uh, I'm sure as many people are aware now, the, the German Bishops' Conference uh, has been engaging in what they're calling a custodial process. Now, I'm uh, this is where this would have actually been a great thing to talk with the editor's guest guy, desk guys because mm-hmm. uh, they're probably much more well read on the current situation of the whole thing. The German bishops want to do a, a synodal action. And now it's very interesting. Like it's getting to a lot of canon law talk all of a sudden. Uh, they're saying, well, this isn't a canonical synod. This isn't a council that a local council we're calling. It's something entirely different, but we're going to call it a synod anyways. So, mm. uh, so they're saying they're not bound by the law of the church in this. And um, Vatican's like, what you're doing is illegal. <laughs> not in an ironic sense, but like actually canonically illegal and invalid. You can't yeah. be doing this. And there are laws in the church that structure and govern what you're supposed to do. And so then the Pope wrote them a letter and said, you, you know, the whole thing is not a bad idea, but these are things you guys need to take into account before you want to go forward with this. And they did exactly what Father Anthony said. They covered their ears and said, la, 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 la. And they wrote back to uh, Cardinal Roulette, who's been kind of the main point person on this. And he's and saying, um, we've already adapted some of the Pope's concerns, which they actually haven't, by the way. And they're saying, we're going to go through with this anyways. We don't care what Rome has to say. But, and just give me one second to find it here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's What is of interest to me, though, is the remarks that Cardinal Marx had to say at, uh, in CNA's article about this. And it kind of got me thinking. This is where I want to kind of bring up where just people a sense of where we're at around i want to talk about ecclesiology today so ecclesiology mm-hmm. is the study of the church what does it mean to be a church uh, it's a very important topic and it's something cardinal ratzinger has obviously written a lot about ratzinger um but let me just read what cardinal marx had to say uh, or this is from the article so the head of the german bishops conference told vatican officials last week that addressing controversial theological topics during the bishops German bishops proposed binding synodal path will be a service to the universal church. We hope that the results of forming an opinion on these matters in our country will also be helpful for the guidance of the universal church and for other Episcopal conferences on a case-by-case basis. In any case, I cannot see why questions about which the magisterium has made determinations should be withdrawn from any debate as your writings suggest. So Oh my god, there's there's so much there's so much in that little little bit of things you just said. Yeah, like what? Especially the last part where it says on issues the magisterium has already decided, there's no reason we can't just just talk about them and maybe maybe change them a little bit. And not just that, like does he realize he's a member of the magisterium? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, the, yeah. Oh, where do I start? Uh, my, I apologize at the outset if my, my thoughts aren't as uh, well thought out on this. It came to me today to talk about this. I was talking about this on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because this is, I think this is important for people to understand uh, where this debate's coming from. For me, I was really struck by Cardinal Marx's words that essentially we hope that what Arch, with the German church, is able to kind of come to a conclusion on will be at service to universal church. So when you hear, when you hear that ecclesiology, like let's put on our ecclesiologist's hat right now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you're in for Canada, your ecclesiology took. Perfect. Okay. And when you hear this, what we want, what our particular church is going to, that it can help influence or it can help uh, discernment or whatever for the universal church. What do you hear when you hear that? It sounds like a local group of bishops want to change universal church law. And teaching and discipline, et cetera, yeah. Right. Because they want, to, they want to deal with some of the hot topics, like around sexual mores. They want to deal with the question about women or women's ordination, essentially. And this is impressive to me because this is the quiet part, and they're saying it out loud. Like, when, <laughs> you're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud. Like, when you're trying to subvert the magisterium of the Catholic Church, like, you're supposed to say it in ways that don't make it sound like you're trying to subvert the magisterium of the Catholic Church. And they just, they just said it. They just said it out loud, and that's yeah. the cojones, or whatever the German equivalent of those are, is uh, impressive and terrifying at the same time. Yes. Because this is the thing, like, when when a group, even it's, like, let's say it's not even a group of bishops, like a group of people they want to meet to talk about these hot-button issues, and we know, we know they really want women's ordination. We know they really want to throw out the church's teaching on sexuality and the theology of the human person, but they're always smart enough not to say that that's what they want to do right they talk about building bridges they talk about other kind of nice pastoral sounding things they don't flat out say we're hoping this changes the universal church right amazing so when i read that something clicked in my head and i was like oh my gosh this is the debate between casper and rats here in 2000 late night late so between 1991 and 2002 Cardinal Casper and Car- then Cardinal Ratzinger had a debate on the pri- what, it, what is what takes priority in the life of the church, the particular church, like what takes ontological priority. So that is as a fancy way of saying what has what has first dibs <laughs> in our vision of the church, the particular church or the universal church. Mm-hmm. And I heard this, and I said, "Oh my gosh, this is Casper's ecclesiology." So I kind of want to walk people briefly through that debate to help understand what's going on in Germany right now, because this is actually um, this is where you're finding because it's not just Germany that you're going to see stuff like this. This happened in Holland. Uh, this happened in a few other countries as well, where this idea like the local church has essentially supreme authority uh-huh. and this idea of synodality uh, took hold in ecclesiology. And they are laying claim to this through Lumen Gentium. But Lumen Gentium, also, which is the doc, dogmatic constitution on the church from Second Vatican yeah. Council, Lumen Gentium doesn't actually really kind of go into this. Or it does, but it also talks about the primacy of the universal nature of the church. So what happened was um, Casper essentially was arguing that with – so in 1992, a letter came out uh, from the Congregation of, of, of Doctrine and Faith under Cardinal Ratzinger about – certain aspects around the theology of communion of the church. Okay. And this was, uh, this was a very important document uh, talking about what does it, what does ecclesial communion look like? I actually have a, a quote here. It's not from, is it, I don't think it's from the document itself. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. This is what Ratzinger says ecclesial communion is. Ecclesial communion is at the same time, both visible and invisible. So sacramental reality, right? As an invisible reality, it is communion of each human being with the Father through Christ in the Holy Spirit. 
and with the others who are fellow sharers in the divine nature, in the passion of Christ, in the same faith, and in the same spirit. In the church on earth, there is a relationship between the invisible communion and the visible communion in the teachings of the apostles, in the sacraments, and in the hierarchical order. By means of these divine gifts, which are, are very visible realities, Christ carries out in different ways his prophetical, priestly, and kingly function for the salvation of mankind. This link between the invisible and visible elements of ecclesial communion constitutes the church as the universal sacrament of salvation. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of church speak in, in that definition. Uh, but essentially, it's that last line. The, the church is the universal sacrament of salvation. Do you know where that comes from? Uh, I feel like it's a Vatican II saying, yeah, isn't it? that's Lumen Gentium. There you go. Right? The church is yeah. the universal sacrament. But he's talking about the church as a universal reality. Right. And this okay. is kind of similar to what we talked about last episode when we were talking about um, obedience. Right. Uh, that there's a spiritual obedience we all have, but that's lived out in the church, which is a visible reality. It's lived right. out through obedience through pastors, bishops, uh, bishops, uh, pope, pope, that sort of thing. So yeah. it's very, I mean, that's a big part of Ratzinger and just church theology too. Yeah. That the visible structure of the church, you cannot be torn away or separated from the invisible structure of the church. Exactly. Just like you can't tear apart the two natures of Christ. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is... This is the definition he gives, and he goes into the whole thing about the priority, the ontological priority of the universal nature of the church. Casper, which is to say that the church is at her, at the core of her being, right? Ontology is the study of being, okay? The core of her being, the church is, has a universal nature. Not that everyone is automatically a part of it, but that, um, that at her core, she's universal before she's particular. Okay. Okay. So it's one body before it's one body expressed in these different rites or something like that. Okay. Okay. Casper says wrong. Ooh. You're you're wrong, Ratzinger. He says he he gives some scriptural evidence for it, etc. About why he thinks actually the particular church has a theological or ontological priority based on the establishment of certain seas at first, and that. By these seas expressing communion for each other, they thereby um, bring about the universal church. So universal church. And that's, yeah. yeah go ahead, go ahead. And that's not a bad. That's not a bad argument. Um, I think this is probably more in line with what a lot of the Orthodox think. Right. Um, this has been one of the issues of division for us. Right. Right. And also, I have to say one thing because yeah. it's driving me crazy. I had a um, professor in seminary in. Uh, um, in theology, and he was a left-leaning guy, but a good professor. He would go boxing theology with the seminarians all the time, but he taught us the material very well. But he always referred to Cardinal Casper as Casper the Friendly Theologian. Yeah. And just so you know, every time you say that, that's going through my mind. I had to get that off my chest. Now you may continue. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate You're welcome. For sharing that. Yeah, I know. You can't help but think it when you hear his name. But it is Casper with a K. And it's friendly theologian with... Except it's, No, there's it's, no joke there. That's well, actually, it. That's it. it's very interesting. You know, I, later on in early 2000s, uh, when he's talking about this exchange between him and Ratzinger, Casper does call it a friendly exchange. There you go. There you go. I thought you would appreciate that. Beautiful. There you go. Anyways, um, so this is... So Casper's arguing that 
this it's the particular churches that are first. Now there's um I could there is so much into why Ratzinger argues for the priority of the universal church. Mm-hmm. But I want to just, and some of it has to do with the ideas of creation and teleology and stuff like this. But what I want to kind of focus on is his argument from the idea of communion, right? That this okay. idea that the communion of the church always takes into account the particular elements doesn't destroy the universal character of the church doesn't destroy the particular elements just as the universe the the unity of god doesn't also destroy the the particular the particularities of the three persons and and, and so on and so forth the universal nature of the church is um if she is the bride of christ if she is his body then it has always been this one body first later on in in the early 2000s when when ratzinger's talking about um uh, in um Dominus Jesus, right? He's talking about the universal salvific nature of Jesus. He goes into this idea that the church, the church of Christ subsists in the Catholic church. But he's talking about the universality of the church again. This one body finds its perfect express, its most perfect expression, even though the body is greater than the Catholic church. Um, it finds its perfect expression in the Catholic church. But he's talking about this universal character of the church here. Mm-hmm. That there's something universal here. And he has problems with this particular element. And because it's this idea that we are this one body, it's the communion. It's by receiving the body of Christ, we are made members of his one body. So this one body always precedes any particular expressions of the body. And I think for most Catholics, this would be our intuitive answer, right? Right. That the church is universal first. Yes. I mean, that's literally the name of what Catholic means. And just on a very, very intuitive level, the universal church is bigger so why does it not simply eat all the other particular churches? <laughs> That's kind of what the Roman church did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other issue. That's a whole other Yikes. issue. So now Jesuits here's why Casper's arguing against this. And I think, and I think this is where Casper's concerns are, are correct. It's that um, he's, he's concerned that this, this, this emphasis on the universal nature of the church is going to be subsumed into a Roman centrism. That yeah. they're going to see this idea that because the church is universal, that is the Roman church. And so everything is under the Pope's power and the curia, etc. The kind of how we saw things in the early 20th century um, around the papacy. I think that's a legitimate concern. But Ratzinger doesn't believe that either. He's saying he's not talking about the Roman church. And this is where I think like Casper, when you're reading the exchange, Casper just makes some leaps and misreads and isn't very careful in his thoughts. And I was just like, how are you? I don't know. I struggled reading him because I'm thinking, how are you this great theologian that people say you are, but you've made such like blatant errors. In well, thought. he's probably smarter than most bishops. So that's true. I don't know. I just, I was, I was surprised by some of the leaps he makes anyways. So this is his concern. Ratzinger addresses these concerns. He's saying, no, I'm not talking about a Roman centrism or anything. I'm not, and the universal nature of the church isn't this idea that everything kind of falls under the Pope, but that the church is bigger and more binding than any one particular church. And, and Ratzinger's concern comes to that. If you overemphasize the particular over the universal, then you're going to start getting competing theologies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're going to start getting more, competing moral teachings, 
and you're going to start getting uh, and you're going to get what Marx talks about. So this kind of brings us back to the discussion with the German bishops. Well, we see this fairly commonly on a local level. Like you'll have that one parish that has a very strong parish identity, but mm -hmm. they take it a little bit too far. They begin to do doing things differently with the liturgy. They begin talking. Maybe the priest starts preaching things against whatever moral thing is, is exciting for that day. Then they get a new pastor mm -hmm. and it creates chaos. Or if that church needs to be closed for very legitimate reasons, yeah. it creates this this disunity and a break in the communion with the wider church if you focus too much on the particular particularity of everything. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, this is a pretty common thing we see. Right. And, and for Ratzinger too, yeah, and, and, and for Ratzinger too, the idea is that at the heart of the church is like, uh, is, is the Holy Spirit. He is the soul. The Holy Spirit is the soul of the church, right? And so that's, there's something universal to the character of, of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, this is always important. Um, but what's going on, so this is where Marx is coming from. This is the ecclesiology that a lot of the German bishops are acting out of. This idea that the particular church not only um, has its own, its own reference point for self-governance, that it can, it can determine things for its own people by its own circumstances, but that it can even have, like this is where the audacity comes in, we can actually tell something to the universal church. We have something to teach the universal church yeah. from our particular experience. Mm -hmm. And it undermines the magisterial office of the church. It makes the church into a purely human reality. It, it's, it, it, it's, steam, it's a steaming pile of relativism. <laughs> it, it, kind of it turns the church into a parliament, really. Right. Exactly. And the this is the heart of it is um, if if this is what you really believe, then this isn't the church that Christ instituted. Like like where I actually I actually of all the things that are going on in the world, I actually really do fear schism with the German church. Yeah, this is. I actually I'm it, actually I'm yeah. actually I'm serious, folks. I'm not actually I'm like. Of all the places, like, things are kind of crazy here in terms of how North America deals with the Pope and everything like that. Things are worse in Germany. Yeah. No, things it really actually is a big deal uh, what's going on. And, and so, but they're, they're, this, they're coming out of this kind of Casperite idea of the particular church. And so we need to kind of re, and this is why Rome has been kind of getting involved, is it's saying, actually, guys, um, what you're doing is not okay. And it's not it's not proper to the constitution of the church herself as she is in her nature and the laws of the church, especially when it comes to this, like, like I said, it's becoming a bit of a canon law battle, but the reason these law, the laws of the church express the fundamental nature of what it means to be the church. And they're there to protect that. And if you're going against them, you are actually uh, subverting the very nature of the church herself. And, you see this, like you said earlier, you see the church as this democratic reality that deals with things as they come. I, you see, I feel like they've got it flipped on its head. Yes, there are concerns. Yes, there are issues around sexual morality. Yes, there are questions people have around women in the church. Those are all always open for conversation. But it's a conversation to help people see things through the mind of the church, there not to change the church to the mind of the people. Yeah.
you have any thoughts? That, the, yeah. yeah, I do. And there's a lot of issues there, but because the the spirit of this, once again, is not uncommon in what we see even in areas in the church in America mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And it's it's a fake mercy to try to do away with the teaching of the church. And what you said about this always just confuses me. Yeah. Um, people who are coming at the at the church from this this mindset or these views, right? It's so different than what the church really is. Yeah, and their idea of Catholicism is so different, and so I mean wrong. Mm-hmm. And it 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 gives me a lot of sadness. So the biggest, um, you know, people always want to know what makes. You know, for priests, for your ordination, what was the most emotional moment? What, like, really struck you in your ordination? Because that, that's a good story. Mm-hmm. But one of the most emotional moments came for me a few days beforehand when I had to do the profession of faith. Mm-hmm. And we were there with the bishop. We do this thing where the families are invited. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying the creed, which I had said so many times before. But now it was a little bit different because now it's something that in a particular way I'm upholding. And I got so emotional because that was the faith that is the faith that's saved my life. Yeah. That's the faith that Jesus Christ gave me and brought me to him. Mm-hmm. And the idea of using the faith and the church as a plaything for your own agenda just deeply, deeply saddens me because there's so much freedom that's offered mm-hmm. in what the church teaches. And this is what's forgotten. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go at it from this, it's not just, it can't just be a matter of bad theology. Right. Especially if you're a bishop. This isn't a matter of just a bad theology. I think this is, reveals a, a lack of prayer and communion with the Lord because you're working against Christ's body. You're working against Christ. If you're working against his bride, you're working against him. Yeah. And it's just so sad that you would turn the church into a political plaything for an agenda of the moment when it can offer so much it offers salvation and peace and healing Mm -hmm. and i think there's a fundamental rejection of the love of the cross right the love that comes from the cross right there's gonna be suffering in these issues about even yeah yeah let's just even for women who desire to be ordained or people struggling with the sexual nature of the church uh, the sexual teachings of the church part of the answer to those sufferings is the cross yes and that's something that you can't fake and you can't just, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say, but there's something about you're missing how deep the love of God is and the love that comes from the cross when you, when you act this way. And it's, it's yeah. very troubling. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that, and I think that's the key. It's all lacking the cross. Yep. Um, this is something Ratzinger actually brings up in his letter on the sex abuse crisis, right? He says that at the heart of the church's sexual teaching is, is a sense of martyrdom. Yeah. Right. Which is at the core of what it means to be a Christian, he says, mm-hmm. and that is under attack, which I, I, those, that phrase has never left me from what he has to say about this. So it, it's, I mean, so you have this kind of ecclesiological background, but then it, it then it starts to it starts to open you up to an ideology that looks to morals as a case by case basis. Like when I when I hear the German bishops talking about this, what I'm hearing is the particular, but never in reference to universal, mm-hmm. right? 
and as and as which is in the end it is relativism that they're it promoting is. absolutely right? and, and it can't stand and i think this is what like in some ways i've actually this is where i've been really impressed with pope francis um he has not let them get away with this yet <laughs> yeah you know i was listening to another podcast and someone was very honestly describing their their struggles with the whole francis pontificate but yeah. in, a, in a good and healthy way yeah and uh, he summarized it by saying pope francis is a mystery doesn't mm-hmm. quite get exactly sometimes he seems to be doing things that are really awesome and on the on the you know ball sometimes he says things and you're like oh man that's why do you have to go and do that but it seems that whenever very often like when he actually gets confronted with something yeah he's never gone off the deep end yeah like with like major stuff like yeah there's been like you know didn't answer the dubia and that but i think he's more catholic than people realize he is yeah <laughs> which shouldn't be a shocking statement um but so much gets twisted um and just as a side note we shouldn't be recording and listening to every single thing the pope says yeah because that's and, he's not always speaking as the pope and that's bothersome so this is where i think and this is where i hope the german bishops kind of have a bit of a wake-up call to be Catholic, and again, this kind of ties in with last week's episode. To be a Catholic means um, I need to submit to the Catholic worldview of things. Yeah. So what the magisterium proposes as certain and true and as a way to freedom in life, I give my absolute yes to that. Yeah. Instead of trying to fight for a different vision like this. I, I mean, there's two things with this, right? Like in the one sense, like nothing's new under the sun. This is, this has happened before it'll happen yes. again. Mm-hmm. So, but when we see stuff like this, we really need to remember not just for the German bishops, but for ourselves as Catholics, I'm a Catholic because I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of man mm-hmm. and the son of God. And I believe that he came to save us from our sins and that his death and resurrection was a real event through which I can participate in through baptism, which attaches me to the church. And it's the church that he has instituted to bring me to salvation through his body. And it's this church that gives me the sure path through her teaching and her authority through the apostles and their succession by which I have the ability to attain eternal life. And I need to submit to that. Yeah. I'm so tired of people saying, well, I don't agree with this in the church, but I agree with this. It's not about you. It's about right. Jesus, right? Like, I guess it's like at the heart of a lot of this, and it's something I stopped to kind of mull over, but we've lost, we, we, the subjective turn of modernity is something we need to answer. We need to answer well apologetically. Yeah. However, in theology and in a lot of even pastoral work, we have turned to the subjective so much that we have forgotten the objective. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it all becomes like it kind of gets to what we were talking about earlier with the sermon, right? It's all well, it's all, it's all what I feel like. And mm-hmm. that's that. Like I remember reading a, this Huffington Post article about the uh, women, the millennial, new millennials, and and uh, generation after them thinking about religious life. And you read the article, and there's no real sense of discernment there. No, none at all, because it's all about they're like, well, I, I met this boy at campus. And so I stopped thinking about religious life because I realized I could be just as happy getting married to him as I could be the religious life. Like, buddy, that's not discernment at all. Right. And you have to answer for that. Like, it's bad. Yeah. That's bad. 
but it's because we have so subjectivized faith that we have actually lost the objective nature of what the faith is and that there are objective truths there is an objective reality that we need to submit to and we need to submit to it because we are fallen creatures who are sinners who can't see things clearly and the church is there to form us not like mindless beings like like obey 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 but in the sense that it wants to train us into freedom yeah and i think there's a question both for either people who are rooting on the german bishops the german bishops themselves and those who are kind of despairing uh, in this moment with the confusion that's going on in the church. And the question is, do you trust Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. And if your response to that is, yeah, but you've got some work to do. Yeah, exactly. If your response is, yeah, but I don't see this. No, 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 no. Do you wholeheartedly trust Jesus Christ? There are no buts in faith. And well put, <laughs> Father Harrison. <laughs> All the five-year-olds listening to that are going to laugh like crazy right now as they're good, in parents' good. car. <laughs> there are it's no very true. in faith. Mm. But, you know, exactly. Like, is Jesus who he says he is? Did he institute yeah. the church? Yeah. And then start to pray hard that the church mm -hmm. does not fall into schism. And yes. pray for Pope Francis to have the wisdom to act properly with the situation. I just kind of want to talk about that from the ecclesiological perspective because that's right. really at, at, what's at play with this. Get, there is so much there. I'm going to try and find a place to write an article on this because I think it's actually really important. Um, mm -hmm. But just to kind of give people a little context, I didn't get a lot of time to prepare it. But I just want, yeah, just to know this is where the German bishops are coming from. They're coming from the Casper, Casper's ecclesiology, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that it's, it's a total subjectification to the lack of attention to the universal nature of the church and the objective reality of that Jesus Christ is our savior and that he's instituted the church with the magisterium that can guide us surely to eternal life. Um, we need to submit to that folks. We need to submit to that hard and we need to say yes to that because it is the path to freedom. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's an hour. Yeah. Cool. All right. I was worried I wasn't going to have enough content. So <laughs> awesome. So thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you might find us. Leave a review there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. You can email us clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find our podcast on clericalpod, at clericalpod on Twitter. And also, just if you ever have a tweet, we're trying to use the I think we're going to use the podcast account kind of as a just a place to post stuff and maybe interact with it once in a while but just kind of a but if you have a tweet that you think should be on the Zuma just send a DM to the clerical pod account and yeah. we'll, that, that's helpful for us because we do recognize sometimes our, our scope of followers people we follow can be limited sometimes so mm -hmm. that's a great place to send DMs if you have a tweet that you think would make a great tweet for the Zuma so uh, thank you for listening and God bless peace <laughs>